This is Simmering Thoughts, the podcast where we sample slow-cooked thinking on Christian life and theology. We are finally back. It's been a little while. We've had a long pause in Season 3. We are beginning the end of Season 3 today with this episode. We have a few more episodes to go. And we are going to continue our discussion on Christology. It is our hope that you will find this refreshing, that you will learn, and that you will grab your Bible, sit back, and enjoy. Welcome back to Simmering Thoughts. My name is Ryan Akers, and I'm the host. Uh, This program is a program where we stop and we think deeply about Christian life and theology. And right now we're in the middle of a series on Christology, and we're looking at specific passages. Today we're going to look at Hebrews 1. I'm going to go ahead and read the first four verses before introducing my guest, and then we'll jump into the text. Long ago, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After making purification for our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So he became superior to the angels, just as the name he inherited is more excellent than theirs. And so there's Hebrews 1, first four verses. I love that passage, and uh, it always causes me a good day of meditation when I choose that one uh, to read, or even when it comes up in, in my mind because of something else. Today, we're going to be discussing that with Lisa Spencer. Uh, Lisa has been someone I have enjoyed following on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, her posts are always a challenge, and find a way to seek wisdom in every side of a discussion, whether it's the side she agrees with or not. And she looks to see those things. And I love that. And it's part of the reason I've asked her to come on to the podcast uh, is because I, I admire her voice and I learn from her on a regular basis. So I wanted to have her on. Lisa, welcome to Simmering Thoughts. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you for having me and, oh. and for your 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 kind words. Oh, my goodness. I had to look around like, who is he talking about? <laughs> Well, I, I last I remember, and I could be misremembering this because I struggle with such things sometimes, I recall that you live somewhere near the Shenandoah Valley. Is that right? I do. I live in Roanoke Valley, um, which I've only been here a year and a half. I was in Dallas for 10 and a half years prior to this, um, and I got married. My husband was already living here in Roanoke, so we married in Dallas uh, in the January, and then I've... I've been here ever since. Very cool. Congratulations. Thank you. That is a beautiful part of the country. We drove through, uh, went to Williamsburg for vacation this summer and drove near to Roanoke. We didn't quite turn right down 81 there, but uh, we we went up that direction. And that drive is always just so beautiful. It is. Uh, Even in the, we always end up getting rain too. Uh, For some (laughs) reason in West Virginia. And then just as we get into the valley, we always hit rain in that patch. So anyway, uh, (laughs) why don't you tell us a little bit more about uh, who you are, some things that you're involved in, and then we'll jump into the to the uh, text of the day. Okay, so um, and this actually connects very well to the uh, this specific passage. I uh, the reason I was in Dallas, I moved there from Rhode Island. 
was because I went to Dallas Theological Seminary. Um, and I got my THM in 2014. Mm-hmm. Now, part of the THM, you can either do a master's thesis or you can go through this intense semester of, you know, doing doctoral statements and, a, you know, and a paper. But I wanted to do a master's thesis because I wanted to write about extra scriptural divine speech. Mm. So this targets the you know, God told me. Um, And the reason I did that, because I came out of a charismatic background for many years. I spent my my earlier Christian years and early middle. um, I've been a Christian for a while. um, But I spent a lot of years in, you know, non-denominational, but um, Pentecostal slash charismatic word of faith foundation type churches. Mm -hmm. And towards the end of that, up up until 2006, my theology was becoming more and more charismatic. And so when you're charismatic, it's all about, it becomes about about the experience. You know, you want to hear direct words from God. Um, You, you know, the more and, and the more that that happens, the, you know, you attach that to your spirituality. So that you know, so that becomes, you know, the thing you listen for it. And to the extent where even when you're reading the Bible, you're look, you know, you're, you're listening for that small, still voice. You're listening right. for God to tell you about, you know, what this passage says, never mind the context of, you know, the passage. So you would <laughs> exactly. read, you know, so I would read, you know, for instance, in the prophetic books in the old Testament prophetic books, you know, what is God's, you know, saying to me now and completely divorcing it from that ancient context where the prophets were speaking to Israel. Right. Um, so that all changed in 2006 when someone challenged me about the disjointed way I was reading scripture. And, you know, and, and you know, it challenged me and forced me to go back um, once I had that reorientation and really start reading the Bible in a more holistic fashion. Um, and so that's where I realized, and it was over time, this was not a, this was a process. Right. It's not something so you that's just snap I, your fingers and it changes. Something. Right. No, it's a process. And through that is where I, you know, began to discover, I, I began to discover how much of the theology that I had adhered to was really undermining mm-hmm. the work and person of Christ. Mm. And so when it came time to do my master's thesis, and by that time, I I really had a a complete um, reorientation to what, you know, what does it mean for God to speak and how much that is associated with what he has done through the son. So this passage here, particularly the first two chap, first two verses of Hebrews one, one and two um, was my anchor passage that I dealt with in my master's thesis. And the name of it was God already, God already told us a response to extra scriptural divine speech. And I interacted with three books, three kind of popular level books, maybe not popular level at the time, but one of them was surprised by the voice of God by Jack Deere. Uh, the other one was Sarah Young's, um, Jesus calling and really um, interacting with her premise of her, you know, her devotionals. Right. 
And then um, there was another book that was written by a DTS grad. Surprise, surprise. It had this weird title. Uh, God, you know, um, God told me who to marry, where to work, something like that. And I'm pretty sure I'm not crazy. So um, it was a it was a labor of love. It was (laughs) it took longer than I thought. But April's one um, wanted to even before I started on that process became very meaningful to me in terms of anchoring just the whole council of scripture. What, what is, what is scripture really about? Right. Well, as we've been uh, looking at this particular series, uh, one the first question I'm going to be asking as we go along, this is early in the recording process. Uh, I don't know what, re- what order these are coming out in. Uh, so right now I've got uh, a couple in the, in the docket and uh, some that are on tape and eventually I'm going to put it all together in order. So I don't know where this is going to be. I know it's not the first one that I know we're starting with John one. Uh, but as we look at, at Hebrews one here, uh, this, this adds into the puzzle uh, that we're looking at in this puzzle of who is Christ. And so this adds some certain pieces and uh, it adds at least one piece uh, talked with our opening episode how uh, in John 1, that kind of gives us some corners to, to frame the whole idea of who Christ is. And this really develops even some of those same thoughts uh, and builds on them uh, and gives a different way of looking at it as well. So as, as we look at this, what, what does this passage particularly reveal to us about Christ that, that may or may not be unique to this one passage? Uh, but, but what does this add to our picture? Okay. Oh, so I, okay. So I will uh, attempt to answer (laughs) that and, you know, based on, you know, my thoughts on it. Um, So why, you know, why I chose this as kind of the anchor passage for my thesis and why I absolutely love the way he write, I mean, right out the gate and, and think about, you know, who the author, which of course we don't know who the author is. Right. I don't, you know, some people can confidently say, I cannot confidently say I know who the author is, but who the group that he's addressing was a group that was, you know, there were Jewish Christians wanting to go back to their old way of life because Christianity was just too hard. Mm -hmm. Um, And so right out the gate, he starts off by talking about divine speech and the interesting thing about speech is that, and, and particularly in this passage, that in, you know, when he says in many ways God spoke, that his speaking was always anchored to the, to his historical acts, mm-hmm. anchored to his promises. Um, and so throughout the Old Testament narrative, you know, he is speaking, he spoke through Abraham, he gave the promise through Abraham. He um, he spoke through the law of who, you know, and that expresses his divine character. He spoke through the kings of how he was to lead his people. Mm -hmm. He spoke through the prophets to direct his people to, you know, orient their worship and their heart towards him, especially Mm -hmm. as they were becoming hard hearted and synchronistic. Um, And so in all these ways, which the passage is saying, you know, by many ways, he spoke through these things. And that was to reveal his character, his wisdom, his promises. And so the beautiful aspect here is he said in all of that in the Old Testament, 
he has spoken in all these ways, but now he speaks through Christ. And what that tells me is that everything he wanted to display to the world, to his people through the Old Testament is now spoken through and fulfilled in the Son. That is something that... uh as you first come into, and I, I came to Christ as a, as a young, young boy, but as, as I come into adulthood and start being able to understand and really wrap my head around and, and see the underpinnings of what is in scripture, uh, as, as a youth, you kind of get the surface level and it's hard, uh, with everything else going on in your life, it's hard to really dig deep. And so, uh, for, at least for me, it was. And, uh, as I've, as I continue to dig deeper, uh, this is one of the things that, that, helps me read the prophets is that uh, the prophets are speaking in a variety of different ways and in different contexts. And that's something that, that as you go through and read them, remembering that, oh yeah, Jeremiah comes after Isaiah and they never even touch. They're talking in totally different worlds. When you first come to scripture, it's hard to, to, to put that in context, you know, in teaching history, uh, I've also got a, a, besides my music degree, I do have the, the license stamp that says I can teach history, even though I don't have a degree in it. Uh, I've studied it a lot. And as you study history and as you teach history, one of the hardest things for young kids to do is figure out timeline. You know, to my students, you know, 80 is just as good as 50. It's basically the same age. That just means you're ancient to them. Uh, and, and, you know, when you're a first grader and second grader, there's no concept of 20 years ago versus five years ago. They don't get that. That's just, it used to be. And as you get older, you know, you get to be a teenager and now you're starting to put things into timelines and you can kind of sort of sort everything into its little different buckets, right? There's the, the medieval age. Okay. That's when this stuff was happening, but we don't realize at that point, And it's hard to wrap our mind around that what happens in the first half of the medieval age and what happens in the back half of the medieval age are really two different kinds of things, even though they're broadly related, it's very different contexts. In one country, maybe at the experiencing the first part of the medieval age, while another country at the same time is experiencing later medieval life, just because it got there at a different time. And uh, living as I do in, in uh, rural Indiana, and having grown up in small towns throughout Indiana and Kentucky, um, I realized that what happens in the big city takes a good six months to a year before it makes it to us. The new music, the new dress uh, styles, all the different uh, slang words. I hear about the slang words on Twitter way before my students use them. Even when I taught high school, I was hearing them online discussions before my students would use them just because it takes a while to become popular here. Uh, it, it takes a little bit for things to transmit. And so as we think about the prophets and, and understand that that what one of them is saying is actually built on the other one because they're often aware of what is happening in previous prophets, that changes the way you read them a little bit. And as we come to this with Hebrews and see uh, that God is speaking to the Father, speaking to uh, the the one of the strangely uh, I have two different versions of the CSB that read this differently on my computer with one of my things. It says the CSB says to our ancestors and on my other program on the computer, it actually says 
uh, to our fathers, which is what the uh, the print version says. So I don't know why that is there uh, saying the ancestors. That's even the one that's put out by Lifeway. So I'm really confused now. But either way, the, the, the God is speaking to those who have come before us through these means. And we get to that, as you pointed out, in these last days. Okay, now we've gotten to here. Here is how God is speaking to us. And okay, now, so if I want to, if I need to be hearing from God, I need to start by the one who is the heir of all things. Now, as I enter through that gateway into the rest of scripture, now I understand because God's using all of this to point me to Christ in the first place, who is the gateway that I'm supposed to go through to understand all the other things, which is, it starts to get, um, a little dizzying when you when you really think about it that everything turns back to Christ. Okay, where do we find pictures of this? Uh, you know, you look at the Old Testament. I I one of the early sermons that I preached was in Zephaniah, and the constant theme of Zephaniah is to repent and to be humble before the Lord. And then we get to the end and we hear that God is going to be singing over those who are repentant and humble. And those that are redeemed and the the ones who are uh, uh, of his people. And what do we think of if repentance and humility is that's the, the, the things that we are supposed to be as Christians, humble and repentant. And, you know, we think about who Christ is and the humility he shows as and this is a different passage that we'll get to at some point in the series. <laughs> but in Colossians one or sorry, not Colossians one, the Philippians two where we see Christ humbling himself and being humble, not demanding his place, but taking the place of somebody else and sitting in their seat instead. Um, and we see how beautiful that gives us a picture of Christ. And we get this, this passage here where Christ is the, the uh, medium through which God speaks to us. He is our, he's the mediator between God and man in this, in this passage uh, before we even start talking about sin. And that, to, to me, that that is a huge part of the picture of who is Christ, is that he is the mediator that, that takes the speech that God has for us and gives it to us, which ties back to John 1 with, with the Logos. He's the word. He's the word of God to us. And uh, that this is done and put in this, in this particular context. Uh, it it says a lot because if you're approaching the old testament which is largely the scripture that the hebrews would have had that received this letter they're dealing with pretty much just the old testament there's a few little bits and scraps of what Mm -hmm. becomes the new testament for them but there's they're now okay god spoke to us through the prophets now he's speaking to us through christ okay now who is this christ (laughs) becomes the next question We, we see that he speaks to us by his son but but what do we mean by that? Uh, and so as uh, what as we get to the back half of that four verses or even the rest of the chapter, what are some other little pieces that that you see uh, that may not be the main piece that this particular passage gives us this chapter uh, of mm-hmm. who Christ is? But what are some smaller maybe side pieces uh, that come along with that? Well, you know, a couple of thoughts that I had um, when you were talking about the prophets is that it really helps us. It helps us to see both the Old and New Testament and how they fit together. Yes. So you can look back and, you know, in, in you know, let's face it, in 
popular contemporary evangelicalism, it's it's not uncommon to take Old Testament figures and, you know, and make them the hero. You know, you want to be like David or you want to be like Moses or you want to be like Abraham. And it, you know, and it really, and, and what this passage does is it forces you to look at, okay, what was God doing through Abraham? What was God doing through Moses? And I think that it does, it should give us that humility to step back and say, okay, these are not, you know, we need to take the capes off the heroes mm-hmm. and understand that the hero really is Christ. Yes. You know, because this is what God was doing throughout the, you know, the redemptive historical narrative in the Old Testament. And it helps us and it anchors us in the New Testament so that so what God has spoken through Christ is now explained. Right. And the New Testament, you know, they're not adding, you know, is is there prophecy going on? Yes. But what, you know, what were they prophesying? You know, the spirit of the the testimony of Christ is a spirit of prophecy, Revelation 1910. You know, it was, what is this, what is this event now that God has spoken in his son? What does that mean for his body? That's the New Testament. Um, So that was, um, that's one thought. The other thought is that, you know, when you get to verse four, he sat down. Mm-hmm. Now there, and, and I've had some disagreements with, you know, my, uh, some of my more, more charismatic uh, friends about this, that, well, he's just speaking salvifically, you know, yes, he sat down after he made purification for sins, but we can't detach that from the first two verses. Right. That, you know, he sat down, which meant everything that God promised, everything that God meant to reveal to us, you know, regarding, you know, regarding his promises, regarding this, this final, this, this better covenant that Christ fulfilled, he sat down. So our, our quest for knowledge then is what does that mean? Not do we, you know, is there something more that he needs to tell us that he hasn't already expressed in scripture? Mm-hmm. Our pro-Christian life, and especially in studying the Bible, and it's like, okay, so what does this mean? It's a quest for understanding how has he already spoken? What has he already said? And what does that mean for life today? Yeah. It, that's the hard part is that, is that, and I think this is where a lot of folks struggle uh, both in teaching and in learning uh, from others about the Bible, as we hear the we we hear the instruction, we hear the do this, but when we get to done with the do this, we we ask, have to ask the question how, and where that how is missing is where we're tempted to uh, shoehorn in our own ideas of how to bring it about. You know, how do I work walk worthy of the calling? Uh, what do I have to do? And and how is it that we can do that? Well, I can do it by my efforts. I can I can try to walk worthy of the calling with which I've been called, which is an Ephesians passage. I can strive forward after that and work really hard to try to walk worthy of that to earn my place, which is what we think of when we get to that passage. Is it sounds like he's saying earn your keep, is is mm-hmm. is how we translate it in our mind. But that's not what it's saying. It's saying walk worthy in submission, walk worthy in repentance and faith, 
and the things that flow out the the description of the things that that person does that follow in that passage are as much about attitude and mindset as they are about things you do and so as we look to christ what are the things that are going to come to us as we look to christ oh we're going to we're going to be taught humility as we look to christ we're going to be taught uh to speak the truth as we look to christ we're going to be taught to do each of those things so as we look to the son who's lifted up before us now we are able to to do those things uh the 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 idea of him sitting down you brought that to a focus and uh and i can't find it for some reason i don't have it marked in this particular bible and so i can't find it fast uh but but as he walks in to the temple and he goes into the true temple and he sprinkles the blood on the mercy seat and then he sits down that passage comes back in hebrews this isn't just a one-off at the beginning of the of the book this is this is a highlight of a something to come it's one of those that that should pique our interest it should catch our attention uh and this is the the whole book of hebrews is so well written with this as an introduction statement all of the things that are here show up later in the in the course of this text uh in this first four verses everything comes back to us somewhere else along the way and that particular one that that he unlike the priest who is constantly working the chief priest who is constantly doing the things to cause god's people to continually be forgiven that's done it is done the work has been finished and it brings back the idea of it is finished it's done and and we struggle with that so so hard as we sin as we uh, go through the, the the steps of sanctification it's so easy to get discouraged and to uh, to, to feel like you're, you almost feel like Sisyphus trying to <laughs> keep going through the work right keep going keep going keep working keep holding this up keep pushing this keep no what is it we enter into in the course of this we enter into Christ's rest where he sits down and we are we are given that rest um, and we're we're called to that rest and so much of what we hear and, and what we want to do with scripture ourselves especially as a, as a new believer is to try to do rather than to rest in Christ and it's it's a tough balance and it's hard to to there's a there's a I think a pitfall on the far side of of this idea of Christ's rest where, you know, we sit down and we kick our feet up, put our hands behind our head and just right. kind of, just kind of coast. It's not like that. Um, it, it, there is more to it than just that. There is a, a bit of work that we have to do, but it's a, a work that comes as a result of the rest, not right. a work that gets us to the rest. And, right. uh, it, go ahead. It, and, and that's where I think that um, Hebrews 12 is very significant because, right, the first 10 chapters, he's really just kind of laying down the foundation of what does it mean that, that you know, that Christ rested and, and, and our rest in Christ um, and where the, you know, our ancestors went wrong in that rest. Yes. Um, and then, you know, in 11, you know, talks about the faith um, that, that we are to have. But then he gets into divine discipline in, yes. you know, in Hebrews 12. And I think that, you know, when you're in the crucible of divine discipline, that's where, you know, that's where you're kind of stripped away of all of the, you know, all of our formulas and, you know, the cute little things that we do to, you know, to say, okay, I'm making it as a Christian. 
where you're really it, it that discipline forces you to enter into a rest. Mm-hmm. And in a way, there's a little bit of work in that. Yeah. Right. Like you have to humble yourself. You have to come to God empty handed and to say, I don't know. And I don't know. And I'm confused and I don't know what's going on. But knowing that, you know, going back to what he says in chapter four, that because we have this great high priest who's, you know, who's done all of this for us, that we can come confidently before the throne of grace to find help in our time of need. Mm. So, but it it does take, and, you know, and that's something like, you don't want to pop the the bubble of a new believer, especially, you know, they're zealous, like, oh my gosh, I've been, you know, converted. I love Jesus. And, you know, for those of us who have been around the block, you know, you're saying, oh yeah, okay, you're, you're gonna, there's going to be some suffering yeah. <laughs> involved in your walk because he is interested in conforming us to the image of Christ. Yep. Right. And that's, and, and that's what divine discipline is all about. I think of the the passages uh, with the 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 vine and the branches. I think John fifteen is mm-hmm. where that is, and the every branch meets the pruning shears. The fruitful ones meet the pruning shears to make them more fruitful, and the dead ones meet the pruning shears to go to their judgment. Yeah. But we all get the shears. And it doesn't we feel good. Trees don't like to have parts of themselves <laughs> cut off. We don't. We don't enjoy. Uh, I also think about the iron uh, sharpening iron passage in Proverbs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you think about that, there is you cannot sharpen iron without taking some of the iron away. It always loses shards, and uh, I think I, I think of that one in in more relational terms. You know, if I'm going to sharpen you. We are both pieces actually end up getting refined and sharpened. Mm -hmm. And uh, in that process, both pieces lose parts of themselves. And so as we sharpen each other, as we are sharpened by the Lord, as we're sharpened through scripture, we're necessarily going to have parts of us cut off. Uh, And those are the fleshly parts. That's God. um, It's it's almost a picture of circumcision applied to Mm. the person and to your part, your own fleshly parts as God cuts away at that. And uh, Hebrews, it's it's become a favorite book (laughs) of mine uh, to dig into and to use it as a, almost as as an entry lens to other passages uh, because of all the the beautiful pictures that are given to us there and the things that that it lays it out in such a nice way that I can wrap my mind around it. I don't have Mm -hmm. to think, I don't have to, I don't have to do the work around the corners because this already does that work for me and carries me from this thought to the next thought, uh, which helps helps me a lot as I read elsewhere. So as, as we look at the the puzzled piece that we have here, we have uh, this this Jesus who is uh, the Christ, the Son of God, uh, who is there to uh, speak to us. He's the 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 medium through which God speaks to us. I think some other things that we pick up here, and I, and I know we pick this up in other passages, and we'll get to this. But I think one the the beginning of verse three is so important to uh, who Christ is that He is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression those those two words exact expression of His nature. So we take that and and if we filter that back through John, and we hear that Christ is often saying to the disciples, 
If you have seen me, if you have truly seen me with spiritual eyes, then you have already seen the Father. You don't have to go hunting. Uh, you, if you see Christ, you already have the Father. That they they come one and the other. Uh, it's it's as clear as uh, making a mold and pouring out a mold. It's going to be an exact expression. And so in this case, I, I think we're this adds to that idea. Uh, and, and we get the idea that all things are are sustained by his powerful word. And this this is where I mentioned Galatians or man, my brain is working this morning. Colossians one. I mentioned Colossians one a little bit ago erroneously. Uh, but this is where Colossians one really slides in in parallel that, that the son is the exact picture of who Christ is or exact picture of who God is. And notice it says God, not just the father. And that mm-hmm. catches my attention as I start to think about that. So often I, I fall into the trap of reading the word God and my brain only thinks father instead of thinking all three. Uh, and so this, this idea of Christ being the exact expression of the father and the radiance of God's glory. So God's glory shines out to us and we perceive it by Christ. It's the only way we mm-hmm. see it. And that, to me, that that takes this picture that we're developing and it stops being a two-dimensional picture and puzzle. Now we're starting to build a three-dimensional puzzle. It's a different kind of puzzle, but it adds depth and adds, uh, really it adds warmth to the idea of who is Christ. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and, and punting to John 1, 1, um, you know, in the beginning was the word, the word, the word was with God, the word was God. He was always there you know it's always eternally existent so when you look at colossians 1 16 through 18 and you know in our key passage here in hebrews 1 that you know that because christ you know it 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 was in by him let's say i don't want to mess this up um by him all things were created um by him, for him, through him, um, that I think what that forces us to do is to not, as as some in the Christian tradition have done, is to make a, you know, a dichotomous God, right. a, you know, a schizophrenic God that, you know, there's the Old Testament God and there's the New Testament God. And Jesus, you know, turns up and he comes with all this love and grace but you know, God in the Old Testament is, um, you know, he, you know, he renders all of this judgment. Like, no, there's a consistency here, and I think it's right to think in Trinitarian terms that because it was through he upholds the, you know, the world by his power. Yeah. Or, or am I saying that right? Uh, um, pretty close. Society yeah, pretty all. close. Um, <laughs> Yeah, by the word of his power, right. um, and because it was in him and through him all things were made, that there was he was involved in the Old Testament. Yes. So that by the time you get to the incarnation and his earthly ministry, well, we when you know when when the book of Hebrews tells us he is the exact imprint of his nature, he is revealing to us what God was doing in the Old Testament. Yeah. And we see there, just as in in Jesus's earthly ministry, we see there 
there's there's grace, there's judgment, but there's also grace mm-hmm. and there's mercy. Oh my goodness, how merciful um, God was to the people of Israel, you know, even when they were acting up and, you know, and following after false gods after he specifically told them, that's not how you're supposed, that's not what you're supposed to do. Yeah. Um, and even in his sending the prophets to speak to them, it, that was an act of mercy yep. to say, hey, guys, get your act together. And so when he, because he is the exact imprint of his nature, there is a consistency there between the old, what God is doing in the Old Testament, but now as he has spoken through the Son, what Christ is doing mm-hmm. in his body and, and subsequently speaking to the world. And I think this plays into um, even an evangelistic context, because as we talk to unbelievers, uh, to a great degree, they have imbibed this idea of the Old Testament God being a God of judgment instead of a God of love. But, you know, I mentioned earlier that he that uh, Zephaniah passage, how can you read Zephaniah and not see that God is a God of love? Uh, it's it's imprinted on the page in in plain letter for us right there. Uh, and we think about the the it's just where the the compression of time as we read the Old Testament is a problem, because if you compress all the time, well, then God warns the people. And then in the next breath, he is judging them. But in reality, what we have is God, even if we just take from Moses to each of the two exiles from Moses to the exile of Israel in that time is a long time and a lot of statements from God redirections and pointing and redirection and they straight and redirection. And he keeps redirecting them. Uh, you know, I think about disciplining my son in, in 90% of the time I give him a redirection, not a discipline. And as we read the old Testament, what do we see God doing with Israel? Redirect, 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 redirect. And then finally he says, okay, you have completely killed whatever covenant there was. It's done. You're gone. And he implements the, dis- the the discipline he's been warning them about this whole time. And then Judah gets to watch the big brother. Uh, big brother gets kicked out. Judah's sitting there watching it. And he gives them extra time. And they still don't get the picture. And eventually, he, God again says, we've done this redirect so many times. You have now trampled entirely on the covenant. And it is over. And out they go. And the exiles, as as we read those as acts of divine discipline, and we we filter that back through what we have here with with uh, the idea of discipline in chapter twelve, that this is an act of love, that that you have so trampled this relationship, you need to notice that you broke the relationship. Our relationship with God was was broken by us, and I I use this as an illustration in a in a sermon that that you know. When, when a relationship is broken between two people, one of the two people or both have to die in order to bring that relationship back to, together. They have to die to themselves and humble themselves and come to the other person with love and, and dying to themselves and their own pride, seek reconciliation. And are we not shown that and taught that through scripture what does God do? He didn't even break the relationship. We did. And yet he is the one who sends Christ to die, to reconcile our relationship. The, uh, it's, it's here in the passage after making purification for sins. He doesn't just, he doesn't just bring us back. He doesn't just restore. He purifies 
the church and brings them back into relationship at the same time so that as we are purified, we die to ourselves and are brought back into the relationship. But notice where did the, where, where did this work come from? The purification comes through Christ, not through our work. And that, again, that just adds another uh, set, <laughs> another depth level of this passage. And it, it, again, this is, this is a great introduction because each of these little clauses do show up later in the, in the rest of the book of Hebrews to mm-hmm. develop that idea. Uh, and so this just isn't an isolated throwaway line. Oh, I'm just going to toss that in there for later. You might pick it up. You might not. It's a, no, he throws it in and then develops it later. So there's so much uh, that this, this all interweaves and is, it's remarkable that God spoke to us through Christ, mm-hmm. who is the one who purifies us. So through the act of purifying us, that is a message to us from God. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's interesting, too, when you talked about the Old Testament um, and his, you know, redirect, you know, his constant redirecting and, oh, and then just his long suffering with his people. And even, it, you know, when he had to render judgment against them. And there was, you know, the dispersion and, you know, the Northern Kingdom and the uh, Babylonian captivity uh, of Judah, that there was always, even in the midst of the judgment, there was also the promise of hope. There was the promise of the new covenant. There was the promise of something better. And I think, and even though the, the writer of Hebrews doesn't, you know, explicitly say that i think it it really gives the same um kind of principle you know and why right out the gate he's talking about look this is what god has done this is how he's spoken now he's spoken by his son who has made purification who has sat down and you know and so when you look at chapter 11 you know, now faith is the substance of things hope for the evidence of things not seen so that we can anchor our hope, you know, we can anchor that faith into something. It's we know it's not seen, but there is a necessary perseverance because there's something better at yes. the other end. And we know that's when the the culmination of his redemptive program, when Christ comes back and judges the living and the dead and sets everything right. And so we have that picture of Revelation 21. You know, where there's no, you know, death is no more and there's no more pain and no more tears and no more suffering and all of those things that the the fall has wrought. Yeah. Um, and so so I do think and that's one of the beauty uh, beauties of the book of Hebrews and particularly how he starts it off is that it gives us that hope, you know, and hope to, to persevere through the trials yeah. when it doesn't look, you know, when things aren't looking so good and it's hard. Yeah. The, the, you had mentioned earlier in this, in that context, the, the idea of the crucible, you know, we're, we're put in, (laughs) into the fire and the things that are worthless are the things that are burnt off, but that which is pure is what stays. And that, that in itself is, it's easy to hear that as a statement of judgment. It's easy to hear that as, well, you're not perfect. You're going to get toasted. But at the same time, the pure that will remain. And mm-hmm. the idea is that you're being purified through that fire, not being judged through the fire in terms of uh, punishing judgment. This is a purifying judgment. 
And that that whole idea mm-hmm. of of that picture is is rich in the New Testament, uh, and it and it comes to us even in Hebrews. And, and we've we've kind of hit on uh, some of the pitfalls of not having this peace, so not thinking of Christ being the Word of God, uh, and that there's somewhere else we have to go to look for the Word from God, other than going directly to the Son. Uh, that that we we've talked about the. Uh, the image of God, that Christ is the exact image of God and, and what the trouble is that if we mess that up, I'm wondering the opposite error though. Um, what are some errors that might rise from this? If we overplay the idea of, of Christ is the act exact imprint of God. Uh, is it possible to overplay that? Is it possible to overplay that Christ is the one through whom, uh, the the word speaks that God speaks to us through Christ. Is it possible to overplay that to a point that it creates another error? That's a great question. And I think it, and I think you touched on it a few minutes ago in terms of us, you know, kind of kicking back and, you know, and saying, okay, well, I'm, you know, uh, Jesus, you know, did it all, he paid it all. So I'm good. And I can kind of do what I want, you know, and almost get into this, you know, antinomianism mm-hmm. um, kind of thinking, which, you know, which, which also is con- uh, contrary to scripture. Um, that, you know, that there, that we, so one one way I think that it there can be we can get misguided is to not consider how we can engage in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we we can rest in Christ, and you know that's it. We, you know, we, we washed our hands and we're good, and we go to church. And especially today when, I mean, you know, we look, we live in a complex world and there's, you know, all kinds of issues going on and particularly issues related to race and justice. And, um, you know, if if we take it too far, which, you know, I I, I caution that line of thinking, like, can you take, you know, the fact that Christ sat down too far? Like, (laughs) no, not really. I mean, we should take that very, very serious. But we can start. I think there's there's a way that could start thinking of well we're you know we're in the world we're not of the world and because we're resting in Christ so much then we don't really have to engage faithfully with the world and I think that it it, it can spawn if if we I don't want to say take it too far but it can spawn that kind of thinking yeah I I almost think of of uh some folks who seem to overplay Christ and underplay the father is a Trinitarian error uh, ah. that, that they almost create a, a, a Unitarian God by the back door of uh, over focusing on Christ and almost ignoring the spirit uh, mm-hmm. because, well, Christ spoke to us through the word. And so now they take uh, the the concept of the spirit teaching us through the word and in, enabling us to see the word and understand it, uh, and at the same time they they to a point almost uh, make Christ, make the father secondary at the same time they they take Christ and elevate him to be the 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 primary focus of the Trinity where all three are equal and it's 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 not mm. really a 
an error that they make intentionally. I don't think, I don't think it's something that's a strategy. I don't think, but I think just in the, in the nature of sometimes how we speak about Christ, um, you know, it's even possible. I think in, in terms of worship time, you know, we come to worship God through celebrating what Christ has done. And then after we say that a while, we don't want to repeat ourselves too many times. So we find a new way to word it. And eventually what it comes up to be to uh, is it, it morphs a little and, and it, we start to say we're here to worship Christ and we stop. Mm. And then we keep saying that and we keep saying that and we keep saying that. And over time, we start to worship Christ, but we forget to worship the Holy Spirit. We forget to worship God, the Father. All three are God. Three right. together are God. And we are to worship God. And so it's, it's, I think it's a worship issue and it's a, it's really just a laziness and language issue almost as much as anything. And it causes us because we play with our words uh, and we're looking to Christ and we're focusing on Christ and now we're worshiping Christ. We, we don't hear a lot about the father there and what Christ came and did the record that we have is a reflection of who he is. And if you mm-hmm. separate Christ the son and Christ, the redeemer from each other. Now we start to have problems because if we don't see Christ as being part of the Trinity, as the son to the father, the preexistent son to the father, which even adds all the more to it. We start to take that 3d model and we start to squish it back down into two. And the, the resulting picture that we get is a, a is a distortion of reality. Yeah. And I, I think that's a, that, it, go ahead. No, I was going to say, that's a great point. And thinking, you know, you know, thinking in, you know, in a Trinitarian um, way, which is how we should think that everything Jesus did, you know, he said is by the will of the father. Right. Right. So he's not acting in concert by himself. It's according to what the father wills. Yeah. Um, And even when he describes us, you know, he says it is. You know, look at his his prayer in John 17. It is those you gave me. Um, and so you're right. I, I think that's an excellent point in, you know, in, in not squishing it down to a two-dimensional model and completely negating the Holy Spirit. Right. <laughs> and that's the thing. I've, I've, I've heard that mentioned before, but as even as I reflect on my own thought process of worship, I often forget and, and, and forget that the Holy Spirit is... Uh, in some ways, the medium through which we worship the sun, <laughs> because right. we are to worship right. in what we're supposed to worship in spirit and in truth. Uh, as we think about what is the truth, the truth revealed to us is the word. So if we're to worship the spirit and the truth, but all we do is worship Christ, we start to lose that idea of the spirit in time. And it it's again, it's not a it's not a snap your fingers and it happens. But over time, I could see that happening. Uh, as things develop and it, it, it wouldn't be hard to slip into either modalism or into Unitarianism once you Mm -hmm. start down that road. Um, And, and I, I don't think we do enough guarding against Unitarianism on our public discussion of faith. I think we do okay inside our walls, but as we go out, uh, I think that's where that, that struggle becomes uh, even more important for us to be careful of our words Uh, Because if we get a, uh, you know, we're dealing with uh, a general public who either denies that God exists 
or they see God as being the Old Testament God, New Testament God. Well, the Old Testament God is no more because the New Testament God came in. And so now that plays into that idea of overplaying Christ again, that we've changed the nature of God because, well, this is, we see God through Christ. This is a change in who God is, but it's not because Christ is the exact expression of who God is. And I think uh, verse five that, that follows, we, you know, we spent most of our time there in verse four, but as, as, or verse four, one through four, as we get to verse five, we're brought into the Psalms where to, you are my son and today I've become your father and I will be his father and he will be my son as, as that is a picture of the relationship between father and son in the Trinity. This passage helps guard us. Uh, and to remember that and to, to keep our focus on that there is more here than just the word God. When we see the word God, there's God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all present at the same moment. And mm-hmm. it's a it's an easy error uh, to slip into. It's, a, it's an error of, I don't want to say laziness, but it just um, it, it's almost a care, a lack of care type of error where we're not being careful with our thoughts and our in our uh, the way we approach our devotion time. Uh, there's one other question I want to get to, and I'm ending each episode with this question. And how has this particular passage and, and you having written on it, I have a feeling that you're going to have a more robust answer than, than most. Uh, but how has this particular passage rebuked you or corrected you in your walk? Uh, and, and how has it driven your devotion uh, as you, and, and, and worship and, and your, uh, your walk with, with God, how has this done those two things? Okay. Well, that, you know, that circles back to, um, what I said in the beginning about, you know, why this passage was meaningful to me having come out of charismatic circles and, um, really embracing that kind of philosophy in knowing that, you, you know, we have, we are challenged with uncertainty mm-hmm. and, you know, not knowing in some more than others. I know I am, you know, I like to know I'm a planner. I like to know what's going on when we're going to do it. You know, I'm, I'm flexible. I have a lot of flexibility, but I'm one of those people. Like I like, I, I when I go places, I used to memorize maps before we had the little gadgets on our phones because I want to see what's going on. Yeah. You know, we have a problem. And to varying degrees with not knowing. Yeah. And, you know, and that's one of the things that in care, you know, in, in charismatic circles, it's this quest to know. Um, and so the beauty of, of this passage and that once I reoriented it, it, it helped me reoriented my thinking and reordering my thinking regarding the whole council of scripture and what God has done through his son is it it's made that uncertainty a little more comfortable, even in the discomfort of not knowing, even when you're, you know, when you're especially when you're going through the crucible of discipline and you don't know what God is doing. And you're like, what is what is this about? And there are times where it seems like you're just suffering these contradictions. Mm-hmm. And I can look at this passage and say, what he has done, he has spoken in his son. And he has sat down. And he has given me rest, 
even in all of the unknowing, like I don't need more words from God. Right. I don't need to hear direct words from God. I know because of what this passage says of what God has already done. Yeah. Um, and so in that way, you know, because of my background and because of the work of my thesis, but even in, even in that, um, you know, just going through periods of trials of uncertainty and, and that being okay. Like I don't have to have all of the answers. Mm -hmm. What I have to do is trust mm. in the completed work of Christ. I have to trust in the sovereignty of God and knowing that he, you know, he, he has me, he's called me. He has filled me by the Holy spirit. Um, I'm his. And so it's okay if I don't know. It um, just popped in my mind. It's almost like a, a geometry proof. God's allowed to skip steps in his work. His, you know, he may jump from step one to step six, but he did all the work. He knows what happened. We may not know. And we want to say, hey, show your work. <laughs> and we don't always get that. And uh, and we, we want to take and have that certainty. I think that fight against certainty is one of the hardest things uh, to push against and to have, you know, we, we think about the definition of faith we're given in Hebrews of, of, you know, faith is hoping for things not seen, right? I can't see it. I can't measure it. I can't put my hand on it. I can't grasp it, but yet I know that it's covered. Uh, the song standing on the promises being a key thought in that process. No, it's not scripture, but it gives us the mindset of standing on the promises of God. When, when life and the troubles prevail against us, when the struggle hits, when the storm hits, are we lashed to the rock? And the only way we can be lashed to the rock is through faith. Uh, and, and to build that, no, we don't know what the, we don't know how strong the storm's going to be when it starts. You have no clue how, how, brisk the wind will get you don't know how hard the the waves are going to hit but yet if you lash to the rock we are promised in scripture that we will make it through um, and that what happens on the other side the back end of the storm is more beautiful than what was before the storm uh, mm. despite whatever the storm may do uh, and that 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 deepening of faith and the ability to to, to know who christ is and that helping us define the qual the quality of the salvation he provides. It, 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 this passage, especially for me, has been something that has kind of gone along those lines that, you know, we see this is who Christ is, the exact radiance of God's glory, his exact expression of his nature, and that he is the sustainer of all things. And that after he purified for your sins, he sat down on his throne and he's ruling. Okay. Now that I know those things, what can I do with my day? I know that God has done this. Now my day looks a little different. I don't have to struggle against the news report because I know that Christ has it covered. He's sustaining all things, no matter how ugly the news gets. And, and we could argue all day, about how ugly the news is right now. We are subjected to a lot of news and much of it is ugly. Um, 
I, I often think about what would a what would a nightly news report look like in year whatever, you know. Just let me go back to the year twelve hundred and think about what does the news report say today? Well, this country invaded that country is a constant refrain and and the 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 uh, living conditions of the lower classes and what that looked like. And, you know, you, you start to work your way through the stories that we have today, the types and uh, the, the, the qualities of the stories. And you go back and you think in history and it's not all that different. Uh, it's, mm-hmm. it's different because it's immediate. It's different because we have so much of it available to us. But even so, our life is no harder than it was then. It's different, different in quality, but in terms of quantity of hardness, it's no more now than it was then. It's just right in front of our noses. And it's easier to sweep away the ugly in the past in our mind than it is to sweep away the ugly right that's right in front of our face, even though we want to. And we try, we do everything we can to forget about those things in our in our current context but it's so much easier to sweep that away in the past you can just kind of dismiss it uh, but what can i do today because christ has this part taken care of i don't have to manipulate that i don't have to solve the problem of racism in somebody else's neighborhood i am responsible right. for it in my personal heart and soul and I'm responsible for provoking one of my favorite lines in Hebrews is provoking one another to love and good love works. Love and good works. And so, and that's that. I've I've recently switched my uh, my social media bio stuff to that. That is my goal is to provoke one another to love and good works. And so, knowing who Christ is, what can I do? Oh, I can point you to him and provoke you to love and good works. Love Christ because you love Christ. Let's do the good works that he's prepared for us. And that is where we're able to now address those situations from that love and good works. Now, how can I uh, make a difference in how people see the trouble? Not even that they do anything. I just want them to see the trouble and to weigh it on their own heart in before the Lord. And that's a that's a different battle than it is to try to go and solve the problem. I don't have to solve yes. the problem. What I can do is is state the problem. And that's I think where, you know, we've we've shifted the word prophecy outside of the charismatic circles. Um we've shifted the the idea of what is prophetic. And I think that's probably the more the word, the the prophetic speech. So many times we use the word that the, the prophetic speech is that speech where we hold up someone's sin before them and say, hey, look at this. Or I see this sin developing into this problem down the line. Hey, everybody, look at this. And what we're really doing is rather than trying to be prophetic in that sense, is we're almost looking backwards to Christ. If, if we, we do it, when we do it our best, we look backwards to Christ and say, this is what it's supposed to look like. And this is what it does look like. What's the problem here? And when we just do that much, it causes folks to see the problem differently and then starts to change how they address the problem. And that really goes to all sorts of different pictures. Uh, I think about the abuse situation that is being churned up within the church uh, because we're not sweeping it away anymore. There are people saying, here's what it's supposed to look like. Here's what it does look like. What's the problem? Yeah, we know what the problem is. Now, what's the next step? 
are we willing to be humble and repentant in front of this problem? And with both race and justice issues and, and really with sexual abuse, it's a justice issue as well as a, a, a an abuse issue. But as we take those two contexts in particular, the, the loudest problems of the day, the problem is that we're still prideful before that sin. And we're still prideful as we look at what is, we want to say, well, this is what I have. That's what somebody else has, not my problem. Instead of saying, what's the problem? The problem is the sin that I have that isn't going to stand firm on that spot. I'm willing to take a step away from it because it's not my sin. And so I'll let it slide a little bit. And then we, we end up a little bit becomes a lot. Uh, the one place where I don't mind the slippery slope fa- fallacy is when we're talking about my own sin, because my own sin is a slippery slope. It's hard to to take that and and with charity apply that same slippery slope to somebody else and let them see what that slippery slope looks like for themselves. Uh, it's one of the things that this passage has started to drive over the last five to ten years to drive me toward is how to, uh, the whole book of Hebrews, how to approach showing someone their sin and confronting that. Uh, This book does such a good job of setting up everything in front. And it's really the Old Testament or the New Testament pattern is they they set up the the what before they set up the how. So the what teaches us the how and gives flavor to it. And in Hebrews especially, we get to those, spots where he points out specific sins but it's in the context of everything you've heard before it of who is christ and why is christ to be worshiped in the way he is uh, the nature of the son and what he has done should drive us to that idea of worship and should drive us to the idea of cherishing the son but at the same time keeping the perspective of who the son is relationship to the godhead as a whole Uh, Because that's something that Hebrews deals with specifically um, all throughout. Uh, It's it's a favorite passage of mine, as you can tell. (laughs) The the whole book is. Good stuff. Uh, Oh, it's fantastic. Uh, So I kind of feel an ending point here. Uh, We talked ahead of time that it's kind of an improv. So I kind of feel a a, a slowing down spot right there and a good rest point. So I want to, again, say thank you, Lisa, for coming on. Uh, It is a blast to, to get to sit and wrestle with Scripture uh, with somebody else and, and to reason our way through it in light of what God has shown us. And so thank you so much for coming on. I hope uh, everyone gets a chance to look up your work. If you could uh, let everybody know uh, where they could find you on social media, uh, where they might find you on uh, not so social media websites, podcasts, things like that. <laughs> uh, and so go ahead and, and let them know those things. Sure. I, um, so I, I have a blog. Um, it's theothoughts.com. I don't write as much as I used to. I'm trying to change that, uh, because I've been involved in other writing projects. So that kind of, you know, plus I work, um, I, you know, I do work. So, uh, so I haven't written as much as, but you can, you know, check out my writing at theothoughts.com. I also co-host a podcast, called Family Discussion with Marcos Ortega. And we are part of Reformed Margins. And so you can find Family Discussion on Podbean, on iTunes, uh, go to, you know, the Apple 
pod if you have you know an iphone go to the the podcast and look us up um other than that i you know i am at on twitter at theo chick or uh on facebook lisa robinson spencer and i highly recommend you go follow her on twitter and facebook because the content is spectacular uh and challenging at the same time uh so I I commend that to you again. Thank you, Lisa. I pray that everyone, as you listen to this episode, will be uh, driven to worship Christ and to worship God the Father and God the Spirit at the same time, because uh, this wasn't a one-person job. Uh, It took all three persons of the Trinity working together in unison, as they always do, uh, that this whole thing is set up by them, uh, and we are to worship God in all three uh, persons. And in this particular picture, as we study Christology and who Christ is, uh, I pray that that will deepen your uh, devotion and your love for God uh, and that you will truly cherish who Christ is. So with that, I pray that you all have a good week and we will have another episode next week. Thanks. And that is all we have for this week's episode of Simmering Thoughts. We want to thank you for listening and for being patient with us during our long uh, break in the middle of this season. Looking forward to finishing out this season and looking ahead to a season four uh, coming up at hopefully at some point here in 2022. Thanks again for listening. Pray you have a great week. Mm -hmm.